Okay, so just first off, a, a little, a few examples by way of introduction before I start um, getting into a more formal presentation uh, of uh, the position I'm going to develop here. Okay, so, and these are just meant as intuitive examples, which, um, as I'm not, I'm trying to make, just make obvious claims here. Hopefully they will seem obvious. Okay, so, uh, in the first uh, two example claims, Abelard loves Eloise, Eloise loves Abelard, I take it that these two claims, one and two, describe distinct states involving the same relation and the same relata. Uh, whereas by contrast, in claims uh, three and four, Abelard is next to Eloise, Eloise is next to Abelard, um, I take it that these are different ways of just describing the same relational state. Um, so, and we can generalize this point for these particular relations, loves and next to, for any individuals whatsoever, A and B, there seems to be only one way for A and B to stand in the next to relation, but two distinct ways in which A and B could stand in the loves relation. Okay, so just point out two distinctions that we're seeing already that are going to be key to what we're going to be looking at in the talk. One distinct type of distinction is the in, intra-relational distinction that for certain kinds of relations, given fixed relata, for example, given just Abelard and Eloise here, we can have two different relational states involving that relation and those two fixed relata. Um, that's one kind of distinction we will be focusing on. But the other kind of distinction is that for binary relations, we see there's a difference between, for example, loves and next to, where loves does give us this variation even when we keep our relata fixed, whereas, it, but by contrast, next to does not uh, seem to give us different uh, ways for uh, two objects to stand in that particular relation. Okay, so now when we move from binary relations to ternary relations, the distinctions multiply. Both types of distinctions multiply. So first of all, at least for some ternary relations, it seems, for example, that introduces two relation, there seems to be not just two different ways in which the relation could hold between fixed relata, but, but six, um, in the, uh, the, I take it that the, the, the top six claims using, uh, um, the introduces two relation in the fixed relata, Mo, Curly, and Larry. Um, each of those claims describes a different relational state. Um, but for a different ternary relation, for example, the between relation, it seems like there's only three different ways that that relation can hold between um, three fixed relata. Okay, so there's a, this bin, 
the contrast within the relation between different states involving the same relata, but also the contrast between relations in how many different relational states we get with fixed relata. Um, and then, but we have even more contrast with, with ternary relations. Uh, Mo, Curly, and Larry are the stars of a television show. Um, keeping our three, assuming that this, let's just pretend this is a three-place relation. Um, keeping our three relata fixed, it seems like there's only one way that this can hold between the three relata if we just, we move the names around any way we wanted to, it seems like we would have a claim describing the same relational state. Okay. Okay, so a numerical observation then uh, before we move into more details. Okay, with unary relations, in other words, properties, we don't seem to have uh, these same kinds of distinctions among different states involving fixed relata. In the, in the case of unary relations, it would be only one relata. So there seems to be only one way in which, for example, Barack Obama can have the property of being a man or being president. We don't have the same kind of differences in that, you know, he might pay, play a different role in that being a president or being a man, um, as the stooges could play different roles in the introduces to relation. Um, also, okay, so, so starting at the bottom with the unary relation, we don't, we don't have this variation, but on the other end of the scale, it seems from the example so far that as n increases, we should expect more uh, both more distinctions among different n-area relations in the numbers of possible states involving fixed relata, so more interrelational distinctions, and also more distinctions uh, for particular n-area relations in fixed states involving, oh, in, in different states involving fixed relata. So also more, potentially more intra relational distinctions. Okay. Um, so, two, okay, two questions to be addressed in this paper. The interrelational question and the interrelational question. Okay, so the interrelational question for fixed, for a fixed n-area relation are what distinguishes different states involving R and fixed relata X1 through Xn. So, for example, what distinguishes the relational state described by Abelard loves Eloise from that described by Eloise loves Abelard? Um, it's not the relation, it's not the relata, it's got to be something else if there's a distinction. Um, okay. So, and then there's also the interrelational question. For n-area relations R and R star, what accounts for differences in the numbers of relational states that may result from applying R as opposed to R star to fix free law? So, for example, why are there six different ways in which Mo, Curly, and Larry might stand in the introduces to relation, but only three different ways in which Mo, Curly, and Larry might stand in the betweenness relation? Okay. Okay. 
So I think that's all by way of introduction. All right, so what I'm going to do in getting into more details is first work out a position that I'm calling naive positionalism, which I'm sort of, I'm taking from Fine's, uh, Kit Fine's 2000 neutral relations paper. It's not, well, you'll see it's definitely, if you're familiar with the paper, you'll definitely see it's not the position exactly he describes there, uh, but um, it's um, it's close enough to it, and I think it has a better chance of working out with the problems that I'm interested in um, than what I think he's talking about in that paper. And I'm taking the, the, the term positionalism from his paper, um, for, as his name for that. <coughs> theory of relations. Okay, then I'm going to move on in the next section and discuss three different objections that Fine and McBride raised to, to this, this thing, this, uh, to positionalism, and I'm going to take them as objections to naive positionalism. Um, and one of them we will see is, is a serious problem for naive positionalism. And then, so because we have a serious problem for naive positionalism, I will then uh, go on in the last two sections of the talk to uh, gradually develop a different version of positionalism, which is more complicated. Um, because it's more complicated, I'm going to present it in two sets. It's not that terribly complicated for binary relations, but it gets more complicated for n-ary relations for n greater than 2. Okay, and my revision, if, although it's more complicated, it might have some things that might be objectionable. It, it at least uh, uh, resolves the problem, the, 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 more, the serious problem that uh, McBride in particular um, raises to naive positionalism. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a lot of algebra in this talk. Um, uh, so I've got some um, notation and terminology, and I, hopefully I won't trip over myself when I'm saying the names of all of these things. Okay, so uh, for any domain of objects O in any natural number N, um, O superscript N is a set of mappings from the first uh, N positive natural numbers into O. In other words, O uh, superscript N, I'm just going to say O N, um, is just a set of, of uh, ordered um, sequences of n objects, or or you think of them as n tuples. Okay, so to think of O n is just a set of all n tuples of objects in our domain, our object domain. Okay. Um, all right, um, and then I w I'm going to say that any n place relation for any n place relational predicate bold R. Um, and I'm gonna, it's gonna be important for my talk to distinguish between relational predicates and relations. Okay, so, and I'm generally gonna try to use bold for the relational predicates. Um, so for any n-place relational predicate R in any, uh, n-tuples K and L, um, we'll say that K and L are R equivalent if and only if these two claims 
describe the same state where uh, these terms, k, this is just these k of 1 with the underline under it is a term referring to k1, the first object in our first um, and tuple of objects, um, and going all the way up through, so this is a term referring to kn. Um, this, I, okay, so in the remainder of this talk, I'm not going to be fussy about distinguishing between terms for objects and the objects themselves because it's just um, too difficult, too much of a mouthful to say, and we don't need that complication, and nothing in the talk depends on weird things that come up in reference to individual objects. Um, so for the remainder of this talk, I'm just going to plug the objects themselves into the um, and place predicates, and you'll know what I mean. I just mean that those are just any names referring to the objects. Okay, so uh, for example, um, given the uh, is next to the two place is next to predicate that we saw earlier, uh, the uh, ordered pair Abelard Eloise is. Um, equivalent modulo this two-place predicate to Eloise Abelard. But, as we saw earlier, it's not the case that for this being the two-place loves predicate, um, that Abelard, the ordered pair Abelard-Eloise is equivalent modulo that predicate to uh, Eloise Abelard. <clears throat> Okay, and I'm going to make two simplifying assumptions in this talk. They're simplifying assumptions, meaning they're, they're actually not true. Um, but but it, it, we could I'm just think of it as just limiting the range of possibilities that I'm considering here because otherwise it would be too complicated. Um, okay, so uh, but first of all, another bit of mathematical notation for any. Natural number n, uh, s sub n, the, the symmetric group of degree n is the group of all permutations of the um, first n positive natural numbers. Okay, so we'll need that, and we're going to be talking about permutations a lot in the remainder of the talk. Okay, and the first assumption is that for any n-place relational predicate r, there is some subset, um, I'm going to call it the uh, symmetric group for r of Sn, such that for any two n-tuples of objects, k and l, k is equivalent modulo r to l if and only if there is some permutation in this set uh, symmetric group for r such that k equals uh, this permutation phi composed with l. Okay, And we'll see more examples of how this works presently. Okay, and then the other just quick, easy uh, assumption I'm going to make. I'm assuming that any n-place relational predicate denotes a uh, determinant n-area relation. Okay, so I'm not worried about vague relational predicates here. Okay, so 
two things or three things to note. Um, first of all, the first assumption about the the permutations um, requires that if k is equivalent module r to l, then for any term in any one of the the uh, the uh, n-tuples, k or l, um, has the same number of, of occurrences in the other l, uh, uh, in the other n-tuple. In other words, this assumption requires that if we've got uh, two n-tuples that are equivalent module r, they're just rearrangements of themselves. Okay, that's what it, it means to say that we can get one from the other by taking first doing a permutation of the first n uh, natural numbers, positive naturals. Okay, another point which is going to be relevant to what comes later is that the symmetric group for uh, or any relation R is a subgroup of the symmetric group of degree n. Okay, so given, okay, and then, then finally, given assumptions one and two, the interrelational question, the question of why are different, why are inner two, why might two inary relations differ um, in how many uh, different relational states we get for fixed relata, more or less releases to the question of for fixed n, why do n-place predicates r and r star have non-isomorphic subgroups of Sn as their symmetric groups? Okay, so let's apply this to an example. Um, we'll go back to the betweenness. The, uh, predicate. So let's let capital bold B stand for, abbreviate the three-place predicate blank is between blank and blank. Um, the symmetric group for that predicate is going to be just the the two-member uh, subgroup of S3, where um, one member is, of course, the identity mapping. Um, and the other one is the the um, permutation phi that maps one to one, two to three, and three to two. Um, in standard uh, uh, group theoretic notation, you could just write it like this. It's the um, subgroup of S3 that's generated by the transposition that just switches the places of two and three. Okay, so what, what, what does that mean? It means that in a uh, claim making use of this predicate, we can switch the last two terms and we'll end up with a claim that describes the same relational state. But if we switch any other terms in the claim, we'll get a claim that describes another, a different relational state. So we can we start out with this claim though is between Curly and Larry. We can switch around Curly and Larry. It doesn't matter. We get the same uh, relational claim. We get a, a claim that, that sorry describes the same relational state. Uh, but if we, for example, switch the first two terms, then we get a claim that describes a different relational state.
Okay. Um, okay, so here is the, how I'm going to present naive positionalism. Uh, let R be any in-place relational predicate, and let italics R be the inary relation that bold R, the predicate, uh, denotes. Then um, the, A, the requirement A just tells us that there's at least one and at most n distinct roles uh, or positions. So Fine would have, I think, called them positions. I don't like the term position here. Um, I'm using the term role instead. Um, okay, there's at least uh, one and at most n distinct roles which the relata might fill in um, our states. Okay, the second uh, B, the requirement B tells us that two R states involving the same relata differ if and only if at least one of these relata plays a different role in uh, the two states. Okay, then C, um, there's a surjective mapping from uh, the first N positive natural numbers onto the set of R roles um, such that for any uh, for any um, N tuple of objects and here I'm just sticking the objects right into the predicate but you know what I mean um, for, so so this this uh, claim uh, describes the R state in which the ith term in other words the term in the ith argument place here in this claim uh, stands for an object that plays the role associated with the ith place um, for that relational predicate. Okay, and then finally D is important. Um, D says that uh, any permutation uh, phi in Sn is a member of the symmetric group for this relational predicate uh, if and only if uh, phi composed with the role function for that symmetric predicate equals the role function itself. Uh, roughly this says that you can swap around the terms in an R claim uh, and get an equivalent claim, a claim that describes the same relational state, if and only if the swap leaves all terms and places associated with their original R roles, with the R roles they were given uh, in the first claim. Okay. So naive positionalism's answer to intrarelational uh, is that two R states involving the same relata differ if and only if at least one of these relata plays a different role in the two states. That's just, uh, I think, number B or letter B on the um, description of naive positionalism. Um, naive positionalism's answer to the interrelational question is that generally there's actually this isn't always going to work because there might be some type restrictions on uh, argument places. But leaving those kind of complications aside, uh, generally n-area relations R and R star differ if and only if they're numbers of distinct relational states 
uh, differ in their numbers of distinct relational states for a fixed relata if and only if uh, their number of roles differs. Okay. Okay, so here's some examples. So with naive positionalism, we would take a predicate like loves uh, to denote a binary relation L that has two roles, lover and, we could call them lover and beloved. Um, the first, uh, with the predicate uh, love, the, the first argument place would be associated with the role lover. The second argument place is associated with the role beloved. Um, and why do one and two describe different L states, different relational states? Well, because uh, they take the same relata, but um, they make different they have different implications about what roles those relata play in um, the relational state. Okay, uh, but it, for a symmetric relation like next to, we would have um, next to denotes a binary relation N with only one role, we'll call it next. Um, so the role associated with both argument places is the same next. Um, why do two and three describe the same end state? Well, because they assign both relata to the same, they, say, they assign the same relata to the same role. Um, also then why, why is the, the next two relation different from the loves relation? Well, the loves relation has two distinct roles different roles for each of its relata, whereas the next two relation has only one role. Okay, we could do the same with ternary relations. I'm not going to go through this one in detail, but, but here with uh, the introduces to relation, we would want to say that each argument place of the introduces to predicate um, is associated with a distinct role for the associated relation. So we could say there's three roles, uh, introducer, introduced, and introduced to. Why do um, each of these claims describe a distinct relational state? Well, because each of those, in each of those claims, at least one of the stooges is playing a different role than in the previous claim. Okay, but, okay, and then why is introduces two different from between? Well, because there were three distinct roles for um, the introduces relation. There's only two distinct roles for the betweenness relation. Um, and for the, uh, the three place predicate, blank is between blank and blank. Uh, we have uh, the first argument place is associated with one role, uh, call it middle. The second two, the last two argument places are associated with the same role, um, which I'll call opposite. Um, so all of these different, no two of these claims, the one, two, and three, uh, describe relational states in which the stooges are all uh, have the same roles as in the previous claim. <laughs>
Um, okay, so this then gives us some uh, answer to the interrelational question, the difference between um, uh, the introduces relation and the betweenness relation. There's six different ways uh, for three objects to fill the three three different introduces roles, but only three different ways for three objects to fill only two um, betweenness roles. Okay, so that is uh, naive positionalism. And now I want to look at Fines and, and McBride's objections to positionalism. Um, Fines was not, uh, objections were not explicitly directed at what I am calling naive positionalism. Um, but it will be useful to go through and see why at least one of his objections doesn't apply to what we just presented as naive positionalism. But as I said before, there is a very serious objection, which I think McBride um, makes more clear than, than Fine does. Um, okay, uh, Fine uh, has two initial objections to positionalism. One is an ontological objection. Uh, he says positionalism requires us to accept argument places or positions, roles as entities in their own right. Um, and he thinks this is problematic. Um, and uh, uh, the objection from symmetric relations, he says positionalism leads to an erroneous account of symmetric relations. Um, I just want to go through quickly his objection from symmetric relations. It doesn't apply to naive positionalism as I present just presented it in um, the previous section of my talk. Fine initially assumes that for any relation R, the relata in an R state must fill, must each fill distinct roles. Um, this would require that for any n-area relation, uh, which might hold between n distinct objects, there have to be exactly n roles. Um, and that for any n-place relational predicate denoting that relation, the role assignment function would have to be a bijection then, not, not just a surjection, but a bijection uh, onto the set of n distinct R roles. Um, and if so, this certainly would be a problem for symmetric binary relations because it would require that uh, uh, you would get, that, that each of these uh, claims would be assigning Abelard and Eloise to distinct roles in the relation and that if you switch them around, then you would get a claim in which they now have, are playing different roles. Um, but this doesn't apply to naive positionalism since uh, as naive positionalism was defined, um, an n-area relation uh, can have anywhere between one and n distinct roles. Um, so as we developed naive positionalism, uh, the next two relation has just one role uh, that both terms fill. Uh, Fine's ontological objection. Um, yeah. Okay, so uh, Fine assumes that the positionalist is obliged to reify roles um, and to admit that roles 
uh, as he says, figure as relation of a relation. I take it that what he means is that the love's relation or the am- amatory relation is exemplified not just by Abelard and Eloise, but by Abelard as lover uh in Eloise as beloved where uh somehow the relation the relation would then be exemplified by four terms the the relata Eloise and in Abelard and the roles that they are uh being stuck into. Um and that does seem problematic for sure. Uh that seems weird. Uh so he he also think so he generally thinks that talk of roles or argument places as he sometimes uh calls them uh should be eliminable. He says we are strongly inclined to think that there should be an account of the identity of argument places and other terms and that there should be an account of relational facts of the pattern of exemplification in which all reference to argument places is is eschewed. Um and I think he's right that it's mysterious exactly what roles or, as he says, argument places are supposed to be and how they uh, figure into relation exemplification. But on the other hand, it, to me, it seems extremely intuitive to account for the difference between two claims like this by appealing to different roles that uh, are to relata play in the states um, by explaining that this relational state is different than this because in this relational state, Abelard is the lover and Eloise is the beloved, whereas in this relational state, Eloise is the lover and Abelard is the, the beloved. So to me, it seems like there is something extremely appealing about positionalism, um, even though there is some mystery in exactly what roles are. Okay, but here... Here is the serious objection to naive positionalism, and it has to do with the fact that naive positionalism treats roles as being absolute. Um, so the, the, the relata in a given rel- relational state either play a particular role or they don't. Um, they don't play that role in relation to particular other relata in that state. Okay, so recall that naive positionalism assumes that there's this mapping from the first and positive integers to the roles, um, and that, so claim D says roughly that, that, uh, you, uh, the, the, in a, uh, relational claim using the the end place predicate R will describe the same relational state as a different relational claim using the same terms and R as long as when we switch our terms we plot them in places associated with their original roles. Okay, so these two uh, these last two requirements on naive positionalism entail, first of all, that for any uh, number j in the set going from 1 to n, and any permutation in the symmetric group for the n-ary predicate r, role, the role function for that predicate maps j and um, okay, this is uh, phi and phi of j. So maps j 
and the term that we get when we permute uh, using this this permutation in our symmetric group uh, to the same role. Um, okay, so that if okay, so so going from right to left, D entails that that if you can swap terms from one place in your relational predicate to another and end up with an equivalent claim, then those two argument places must be associated with the same role. Um, but then going in the opposite direction from uh, right to left, D entails that for any J in between uh, 1 and N in any uh, permutation phi in the symmetric group for our relational predicate R, the swap that the, the permutation that just swaps J in phi J and leaves everyone else in their place must be in the symmetric group. Why? Because it's a perm if they these two are have the same role according to D, and supposedly the symmetric group consists of uh, all the permutations that uh, move the argument, that, that exchange argument places that are associated with the same role. So if they have the same role, then we should be able to just flip around those two argument places and end up, um, and end up with with uh, claims that describe the same relational state. Okay, so why doesn't this work? Well, there's two uh, particular relations that that Fine and um, McBride discuss, and I think I'm just going to skip Fine's um, because we don't have time. Oh, but this is hard to read. Sorry. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus more on McBride's because it's it's easier to talk about in a way. Um, so here is an exa example where which runs into trouble for naive positionalism, and I think generally runs into trouble for the assumption that there are absolute roles that the different relata in a relational state play. So let uh, the four-place relational predicate play tug-of-war against uh, denote a uh, quaternary relation T, which holds when two people play tug-of-war against two other people. Um, all, what, eight of these claims describe the same T state. Um, if you look through all of them, you'll see that each of the Stooges' names is in each of the four argument places in at least one of those claims. So by naive positionalism, it should be the case that each of these four argument places for this four-place predicate is associated with the same T role. Um, Okay, and if that's the case, then it would follow from naive positionalism that we should be able to swap any four of the terms in any way we want to, and in particular, we should be able to transpose any four, any, any two of these terms by just flipping their places, um, but we can't do that. Okay, so we should be able to transpose any two of the terms up here and get a claim that describes the same relational state, but obviously we can't do this. Um, so, for example, if we just uh, change uh, 
in the first claim, if we just swap Larry with Curly, we get the claim down here, number nine. Moe and Curly play tug-of-war against Larry and Shep, which does not describe the same T-state as all eight of our original claims. Okay. Okay, so that, this is this is a problem for naive positionalism. Naive positionalism tells us that this should describe the same state as the the first eight claims, and it, it doesn't. Okay, here's a more general algebraic worry for naive positionalism. Um, for any n greater than four, there's going to be more than n non-isomorphic subgroups of Sn, the symmetric group of degree n. Unless there's some reason to think otherwise, it would seem that any subgroup of Sn it could be the symmetric group uh, for a particular n place relational predicate. Um, if so, then there would seem to be more than n distinctions to be made among n-ary relations in terms of differences in states involving the same relata. Um, but naive positionalism distinguishes among n-ary relations only in their numbers of roles, and according to naive positionalism, there's only n ways in which n-ary relations might differ in their numbers of roles, because they have to have between 1 and n distinct roles. Okay, so this is a more general point that is, is getting at uh, the problem a problem that comes up in the examples um, from Fine and McBride. Okay, so possible positionalist responses are deny that the relational predicates, that the problem predicates that um, Fine and McBride introduce, like form a circle and play tug-of-war, denote relations. Um, this seems ad hoc, especially given that, and these are not the only possible problem predicates we could come up with. Um, the, the second thing, the second possible positional response, and the one that I am going to take, um, is to reformulate positionalism. Uh, so, naive, okay, now I think what the examples show us um, is that the problem with naive positionalism is it assumes that there is a set of absolute rules for any given relation. Um, but the last two examples uh, seem problematic uh, because in these examples, the relata seem to have distinct roles only relative to one another. So using the tug-of-war example, which I think is very good, uh, Mo, Larry, Curly, and Shemp are all playing, in some sense, playing the role of teammate and playing the role of opponent uh, in the state described by, by this, this claim, Mo and Larry play tug-of-war against Curly and, and Shemp. Um, the distinction between the state described by this claim here and the, the state described by uh, the, this other claim, the one we looked at earlier, Moe and Curly play tug-of-war against Larry and Shep, is not in whether a particular stooge is a teammate or opponent. They all are, in some sense. The distinction is who they are a teammate relative to or an opponent relative to. So the first claim describes a state 
a, a relational state in which Mo is a teammate relative to Larry, an opponent relative to Curly and Chimp, whereas the second one describes a relational state in which Mo is a teammate relative to Curly, not Larry, and an opponent relative to Larry and Chimp. Okay, so my then um, strategy, I'm not going to go through that slide, um, my strategy then for revised positionalism would be to re, is to reformulate it so that the roles associated, the roles for a relation are not absolute but relative. Uh, so, uh, relata in a relational state have roles relative to one another, not absolute roles. <laughs> Okay, so the goal is to reformulate positions to the, that's what I just said. Okay, um, okay, so to do this, and this is, um, yeah, anyway, this is going to be important for my position. It, uh, so I, I think this is the main move that I'm making here. Uh, to do so, I assume that there are object relative properties. Properties which are had not absolutely, but only relative to particular objects. The roles then are going to just be properties, but not properties as we're used to thinking of them, but properties which are had only relative to particular objects. Okay, and here's just, I don't know if this helps or not, or just makes it look worse, but here's some examples to sort of intuitively motivate that we might sometimes think, yes, properties are had. relative, not absolutely, but relatively to, relative to particular objects. So I'll just look at the first example. Um, Some directional, not all, but some directional properties, for example, east, west, north, south, above and below, may be construed as unary properties that are had only relative to particular objects. So, for example, the Empire State Building is north relative to Union Square, but south relative to Central Park. You might think, you might Construe that obvious fact as being a claim that the object, the Empire State Building, has a particular property, one place property being north relative to one object, Union Square, but has a different and opposing property, south, relative to another object, for example, Central Park. Okay, I think you could, I think that, that, that it might also be useful to think of certain, te- that the A properties like past, present, and future as being relative to, do- unary properties had relative to times, and also evaluative properties as being, uh, had relative to particular objects. Okay, so anyway, that's just a little trying to, motivate that it might not be too crazy to think of properties as being, there being certain kinds of properties that are had only relative to particular objects. Um, so what I'm going to do now then uh, is to replace naive positionalism's absolute roles uh, with uh, object relative properties, properties that are had only absolute, only relative to either one object or eventually when we get to uh, n area relations for n greater than 2 uh, relative to a sequence of objects. Okay, so <clears throat> for example, in our, in our original example, uh, we will take uh, lover and beloved as properties that are had only relative to particular objects, and we will take uh, the first claim, Abelard loves Eloise, to hold if and only if, 
Abelard has a property lover relative to Eloise, and this will be the case uh, if and only if Eloise has the conjugate property beloved relative to Abelard. Um, so here, then, on this new version of positionalism, these two claims are distinguished by the properties that are attributed to Abelard and Eloise relative to one another. Okay, so in claim two, it's Eloise that has the property lover relative to Abelard instead of the reverse. Okay, um, I started talking about conjugate relative properties. Um, in my version of positionalism, um, I'm going to need to have these object relative properties coming in groups. And in, for the, uh, uh, lev- what I'm calling level one properties, properties that are had only relative to single objects, the, the, the properties will come in groups of two. Uh, which I will call conjugates. So I'll say that P1 and P1 star are conjugates, uh, means that this should really be a modal claim. Necessarily for any objects X and Y, X has P1 relative to Y, if and only if Y has P1 star relative to X. Um, for example, beloved and, uh, lover and beloved are, are conjugates relative properties. Necessarily, if X is a lover relative to Y, then Y is beloved relative to X. Okay, for symmetric binary relations like next to, um, I'm going to want to say that there is only one uh, that, that both relata have the same property relative to one another. So again, the distinction will be that there's only one role, but here the role is construed as a relative property. So uh, three and four both hold that if and only if Eloise has the property next relative to Abelard, and that holds if and only if uh, Abelard has the property next relative to Eloise. So for the symmetric binary relation, there's a single role, which I'm calling next, uh, which is a conjugate of itself. So for any objects x and y, x has an x relative to y if and only if y has an x relative to x. Okay, so here is revised positionalism for binary relations. It's exactly the same format as naive positionalism, except in this particular definition I'm limiting myself to binary relations and two-place relational predicates. Um, Again, there'll be uh, one to two distinct roles for a binary relation. Um, and these, but, but now these roles, these are not going to be some sort of absolute roles. They're going to be conjugate object, object relative properties. Um, two R states where R is a binary relation will differ if and only if the, oh, involving the same relata will differ if and only if those relata, uh, have different roles or have different roles relative to one another in the two states. Um, The mapping, I think it's going to be exactly
saying we're going to have a, a mapping, again, because this is binary, uh, just from one and two, there's only two argument places, to our set of one or two roles, um, such that for any uh, uh, ordered pair of objects, the following are equivalent. Um, those are K1, K2 holds. Uh, K2 has role one relative to K1, uh, and that would be equivalent then uh, to K1 has role two relative to K2. Okay, and again, uh, this is going to be, the, the last requirement is exactly the same, uh, a permutation um, of two elements is a member of the symmetric group for our two-place predicate R, uh, if and only if uh, this permutation uh, phi uh, composed with the role relation just gives us the role relation back again. So again, this, this amounts to roughly sw swapping terms places in, in an R claim results in an equivalent claim, if and only if the new claim describes a state in which the same relative have the same roles relative to one another. Okay, so I'm not going to get through, okay, oh, well, all right, so I, I'm definitely not going to look at these. I made some toy models for this just to get some sense that uh, it's at least logically consistent. Um, we don't care about that. Um, okay, so one thing is, um, since I, I don't have much time, um, for, it, it, it gets more complicated with uh, n-ary relations for n greater than 2. Um, and I'll just show you quickly what I do. Um, level two, we're going to have to have different levels of relative properties. Level two properties are going to be unary properties that are had only relative to ordered pairs of objects. And then uh, on a later slide, I have the generalization. Level n properties are, are going to be unary properties that are had only relative to ordered sequences of n minus 1, uh, or of n, of n objects, sorry, of n objects. Um, and then conjugate properties, um, I'm not going to go into this. Um, the, the, the basically, uh, we're still going to need to introduce some sense in, at each level in which we get conjugate properties, um, which would be properties um, such that holding, that let you swap around the terms uh, when the relation holds relative to a particular ordered pair for one object, you can swap that object back in using a conjugate property and get a corresponding property holding relative to a different ordered pair using the same terms. Um, that's okay. So um, yeah, um, what is going to be important here? Uh, the, as we get, as, as n increases, the role relation, this is going to be important. The roles are going to be, uh, not associated with 
individual argument places in the relational predicate, but associated for the ternary cases with pairs of argument places. And then as n increases, the roles will be associated with ordered uh, tuples uh, for, for, for general n with an order tuple of n minus 1 argument places. Though, again, the result is always going to be the last and crucial claim is going to be uh, that swapping around terms in a relational claim results in an equivalent claim if and only if the new claim describes a state in which the same relata have the same roles relative to one another. Um, yeah, can't get through that. Um, this, this is on the handout. Um, this is, this is the final version of revised positionalism, the general version for, for NRA relations. Um, and again, the, the crucial part will be that the roles will be associated with, uh, tuples of, um, argument places instead of individual argument places. Um, if I had time, I would go through this in detail, but just generally, this, if you go back with the, um, to McBride's example, the, the plain tug-of-war example, um, we will see that this works out, that, that Mo has uh, a particular role relative to Curly, Shemp, and Larry in that order, in that this is the same role we can move some things around. We can we can move around a little bit. This is the same role that Mo has relative to Shemp, Curly, and Larry, uh, where we've just switched Cur uh, Shemp and Curly, but he has a different role relative to this tuple. And this will explain why we could do some swappings in the original tug-of-war claim, but not any... Uh, not all swappings of the, the names for the stooges. Oh, and uh, this is the symmetric group then for this this uh, relational predicate. Um, yeah, okay, this is actually, I spent some time on this, uh, so let me just get this out here. Uh, there, the general algebraic results... Um, so remember that 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 not only were those particular examples from Fine and McBride problematic from for naive positionalism because it, it really they showed that naive positionalism uh, formulated in terms of absolute roles just doesn't work. Um, uh, but remember, we, there was the general point that uh, for any n. Uh, the symmet any n greater than or equal to 4, the symmetric group of degree n has more than n different non-isomorphic subgroups, but we can only account for at most n differences between relations uh, using absolute roles, because the difference is only in the number of roles that a particular relation has. Um, but now... Uh, with revised positionalism, uh, we can take any subgroup of the symmetric group of degree n and mathematically construct an n-place relational predicate R such that this arbitrary subgroup 
is the symmetric root for R. So this is a kind of completeness result that, that uh, uh, we're, we're going to, this, this at least indicates that we, we should have, uh, be able to make enough distinctions on uh, revised positionalism, whereas we, we couldn't do so with naive positionalism. Okay, there's also models, which I won't go through. <laughs> so anyway, so just to conclude, uh, naive positionalism offers, well, I think naive positionalism is, is very intuitively appealing. Um, I like it, um, and I was sorry it was dismissed so easily in some other people's papers. Um, I think it offers an intuitively appealing explanation of distinctions between states involving the same relata, uh, in the same binary or ternary relation. So it seems to work well for the binary case, especially the ternary case. There could be some problems, but, um, but not, not with, uh, easy to formulate examples. Um, uh, and I think naive positionalism looks good for, for questions of, uh, the interrelational question, explaining why there are uh, more different states involving fixed relata for some binary or ternary relations than for others. Um, the problem with naive positionalism is that it can't offer similar explanations for n-ary relations with n greater than or equal to 4 unless we endorse unmotivated restrictions on what sorts of n-ary relations there are. Just basically is to just say that there are only those relations that can be accounted for, uh, with absolute, uh, but by assuming that, that there are absolute roles. But, okay, revised positionalism compared to naive positionalism is much more complicated in that is in some sense a, a drawback. Um, it complicates the ontology uh, by, first of all, requiring that we admit that there are not just plain old unary properties, but also properties that can be had not absolutely, but only relative to particular objects. Uh, worse than that, it requires that uh, for each natural number n, there is a special class, there are these different levels of properties, a special class of properties which can be had only relative to a sequence of n objects. Uh, and also we have to admit that there are these conjugate properties, uh, level n properties such that uh, pn's, ex such that uh, level n properties pn and pn star such that pn's extension relative to any uh, sequence of n minus one objects is completely fixed by pn star's extension relative to sequences of n minus one objects. So it, there, there are certainly uh, a lot of strong commitments that revised positionalism requires. Uh, however, the benefit is that it can handle uh, fines and McBride's problem cases for naive positionalism. And it seems to generalize well, not just from the binary and ternary cases to uh, n-ary relations for, for any finite n. Um, also, just to, to um, justify the uh, complication, uh, 
that we get with revised positionalism, it seems hard to imagine what kind of explanation can be offered of, for example, the distinction between the states described by Moe and Larry play tug of war against Curly and Shemp versus Moe and Curly play tug of war against Larry and Shemp that doesn't somehow rely on differences in roles played relative that one relied on plays relative to another. So in some way rely on some way uh, sense in which objects can have properties or fill roles relative to one another. Um, and then finally, the mathematical point. Uh, granted that n-place relational predicates with arbitrary sym symmetric groups might denote unique n-area relations, structural distinctions between n-area relations are going to have to increase dramatically as n increases because there's just a lot more dis structural distinctions between subgroups of uh, symmetric group of Sn as n increases. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much.